Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's guest is Jesse Buckingham. Jesse is the CEO of a company called Record360, a leading provider of inspection management software for the equipment rental industry. Now, I was actually introduced to Record360 through someone that was on the podcast earlier. So Mike Rooney was in episode 34 from Worldwide Rental Services out of Denver, Colorado. And he spoke about how they increased their damage recovery uh, using video as part of the pre and post rental inspection process. So I thought what better way to talk about this to actually get the CEO from Record360 on and talk about the product, talk about his journey in the industry and just understand a little bit more about where that side of technology is actually heading. So Jesse, thank you for coming on the podcast today. To kick things off, can you talk to me about how you first got exposed to the equipment rental industry? Yeah, for sure. And thanks for having me, Mark. Um, the story of how I got into the equipment rental industry is really tied to the, the history of Record360. I've been leading the business um, for about three years now. But if you go back to the sort of founding story, um, Record360 was started originally by a couple of executives from Enterprise Car Rental that identified this problem of damage um, and then started a business um, to help rental businesses protect their assets. Um, they grew it for about five years and the CEO, the former CEO, also had a, a professional rugby team um, in America. His real passion was, was for that and so they wanted to sell the business and I had a relationship with an investment group called Alpine Software Group and they, they sold the business and I, I took over as CEO and have been leading it for the past three years and that was my, you know, my first foray into the equipment rental industry and have since really you know, developed a love for it. I, I think it's a, it's a fascinating market. It's growing really fast. I feel like it, you know, it supports the backbone of commerce and, um, and there's a ton of opportunity, I think, for sort of good technology to, to help out. So it's, uh, it's been a fun journey, you know, growing the existing big business and, and figuring out some of those other spaces that we can, we can help the industry um, over time. Because I would assume you wouldn't just serve just the hire industry thing being the, uh, an inspection side. Yeah, so it, interestingly, you would sort of think coming from car rental that that would be the majority of the business, but the, the first customer that actually used the product was an equipment rental uh, business out, outside of LA. You know, what, what we've learned very quickly is that the value of the product in a large part is driven by um, the value of the assets that you're documenting and protecting. and you know, a car is 30 to 40 grand and some of these pieces of equipment, are, you know, upwards of 500,000 and, you know, it can cost 10 grand to, you know, replace a part or, or something. And so the value of having a tool that helps um, increase damage collections and, and protect the equipment is just that much higher in, in equipment. Um, and so that's really been our focus actually is, is equipment and, um, and heavy duty truck as well, um, even though the origin was in car rental. And so I do notice that you have an Australian accent and as do I, but you are based in the US. So talk me through how you ended up in the United States. Yeah, I, so I spent some of my childhood over, uh, over in the US. And so I, I always had some relationship and affinity with the US, but I've always been very passionate about uh, tech entrepreneurship and 
um, and growing, you know, technology businesses. And America is just such an incredible place to be, you know, you know, I, I think in some, in some ways, the sort of American dream was like very appealing to me, come over from Australia and try to, you know, play in a big market where you've, you've got really amazing people and a lot of opportunity for innovation. Um, and that was very attractive to me. So I, I came over to the US about five or six years ago um, with a view to, you know, trying to build technology businesses that were having impacts on their industries. Um, and, and very fortunate to have landed in the position that I have uh, leading Record360. And then is it a coincidence that the company you ended up with was owned by somebody that owned a rugby team? That just seems like a bit of an ironic I, situation. I know, right? It, it was. We definitely bonded over it and continue to. He's a, he's a, he's a great guy and, and, you know, we still stay in touch as well. But it was a, it was a funny thing to connect over. The Seattle Seawolves is the team and been to a bunch of games. Um, it's a, it's a cool scene. That's so funny. That's amazing. So, so can you explain uh, the software for what exactly Record360 provides to the equipment rental industry? Yeah, so we, we help equipment rental businesses um, increase damage collections and maintain relationships that, that are with their customers that are based on trust and accountability. And we do that um, by providing rental businesses with an inspection platform that allows them to document the condition of their fleet um, and communicate around fleet condition with customers um, in the event that you have a, a dispute. So the core use case is for check-in and check-out in rental. Um, if damage occurs, then you have a condition report that allows you to have a non-confrontational you know, conversation with a customer um, that then allows you to bill back for that damage you know, repair the asset so it's looking good, um, uh, but also do it in a way that, you know, maintains the relationship and a sense of trust um, with customers. So that's the core of the business. Um, it's a very flexible tool um, and there's a lot of need for different inspection processes across rental dealerships and, and rental operators. And so what we see is that typically folks start with that rental use case and then they expand it out into, you know, service inspections or like new fleet inspections, safety inspections for, you know, work platforms and, and the like. Um, so, so it ended up becoming this pretty critical tool for documenting assets and, um, and other workflows across the dealership. Yeah, I was thinking that through just then, I assume you can also control a person's role and the workflow that they need to follow when they're actually doing their job as well. So when new people come on board, it's, hey, these are the steps you need to follow to complete this task rather than saying, hey, go service this piece of equipment or whatever it might be. Yeah, driving that consistency of process is a big piece of the value proposition. You know, things don't get missed because you're able to build a configurable checklist for whatever workflow that is. And then as you say, you know, you're able to permission that. So um, you could have, you know, a service inspection, different types of service inspections. You could have safety inspections. You could also have um, rental checkout that have those vary by type of equipment and, and all of that is customizable within the application. So you can build it out to support a ton of different use cases. Yeah, I think I saw something unique with Record360 as well, that you actually have video as well, not just photos, which I think a lot of places that I've seen have photos and they document photos on the way. But I actually had someone on the podcast a while ago that spoke about, that's how we actually got connected with Record360, about mm. how it, it was saving him a lot of money with these damage charges. And he said he records all of his videos. 
So is, is video something that's always been part of the solution? Video has always been part of the solution and ends up being a really important piece of, of why it's successful. Like some, somebody, one of our customers said, a, uh, a picture is worth a thousand words and a video is worth a thousand pictures, um, which, which is factually true. Um, what it allows you to do is um, you're able to have a video of an asset that then allows you to pick up things that you didn't otherwise notice or, or miss. And that ends up being, um, you know, a huge source of the savings that, that customers get is that they don't, they don't realize that something went out with damage or with no damage. Um, the video picks it up, but, you know, the photos, photos didn't necessarily. Um, and it makes it very easy to train on as well, right? It's do a 360 of the piece of equipment before it goes out. And, and so it ends up being a differentiator for us. And, you know, it's, it's sort of doing that reliably in an offline environment that syncs with the cloud really successfully ends up being, you know, it's sort of a non-trivial thing to do. And so it ends up being a little bit more challenging for folks. It's something that we really focus on, making sure that experience is really rock solid and stable and, you know, drives a lot of value for folks. And I guess when people first come on board, what are some of the, the core challenges that they're trying to solve? Obviously, we spoke about the workflows and damage, but is there significant use cases that they're trying to achieve? Yeah, the, the two things that um, usually people are looking to solve is they want, they want to drive consistency in their rental check-in, check-out process and to do that digitally. So they're getting away from paper um, or from you know, digital cameras and SD cards and all of the like administrative burden that goes with trying to manage images in that way. Um, so, so it's digitizing and creating consistency and check-in, check-out check processes so that everything that goes out of the dealership or rental operation gets documented in the same way. And then two is, is increasing damage collections. And we sort of see this across the board that folks that drive that consistency end up saving a ton right and that comes sort of straight off the revenue line end up saving a ton so it's sort of consistency and and then increasing damage collections but doing it in a way that allows you to improve your relationship with customers because typically what what most rental operators they fall into this trap where they think that they can either either they have to sort of eat the cost and preserve the relationship with the customer or they charge the customer and they risk damaging the relationship. When you have a tool um, like a photo video documentation platform, it creates this sort of third way for you where you're able to charge back for the customer and improve the relationship because they feel like they're being treated with a sense of, of trust. They know that they're not getting charged for damage that they, they did not cause. And so then it just becomes a, yeah, oh yeah, we did that check send us the bill um, with the rest of our invoice. So, so yeah, it, it does a really nice job of sort of increasing damage collections while improving the customer relationship, which I think is really important. Yeah, I, so the company I had on the podcast was Worldwide Rental Services. I think they're based awesome. out of Colorado, I think, uh, somewhere central in the US. And so they, they spoke about the relationship side a little bit on the podcast. And he was saying how... Uh, the, the trust side at the beginning, but he, he gave an exact example, which I found quite funny, where a customer was disputing uh, paying for some damages mm. and he sent the, the video over and said, look, this is, this is what we have. And he said the conversation was over. Like it wasn't like there was any 
any further arguments or whatnot. It was, okay, yep, we're paying that bill. Where I think often what happens is people, it takes them a while to, to gather the information and then they might send the bill like three weeks, four weeks, hopefully not six months later to the customer. And you know, it's like, imagine you renting a car and getting a bill three months yeah. after you've done your car hire, you can barely even remember what car you rented, like let alone if there was any damage. Yeah. No, it's happened, it's happened to me in, with car rental a bunch of times. And that's exactly right. I mean, you, you bring up a, a couple of good points. One of them is around like the speed of communication. So people just have so much more trust that, you know, equipment comes back into the yard and then they get, you know, a notification and you can generate these through the app really easily where a customer says, you, you ping them the photos and say, hey, FYI, we've noticed that this piece of equipment has come back damaged, um, expect an invoice. And people automatically, you know, that, that timing um, really, really matters. But it is, it is so interesting because one of the, the sort of things that we overcome in the sales process is some people say that it's just sort of a cost of doing business and it really doesn't need to be. The better flywheel for a rental operator to be on is to say, hey, I need, I need to be able, I want a high quality fleet and I want to be able to maintain the quality of that fleet at reasonable prices. And so if you think about the ability to charge back the damage and doing it in a way that doesn't compromise the customer relationship allows you to you know, have extra dollars in the bank, but that means that you go and do those repairs or you know, put a good paint job on it. And you know, the quality and the appearance of quality of people's assets matters a lot more in, in rental than it probably should, given you know, these, these sort of assets are getting really put to work, but it really does. And it's a reflection of people's brand. Um, and so when you've got something that allows you to sort of charge back repair things at a low cost, maintain the quality of your assets and your, the appearance of your brand, that ends up being a really important piece of a, a, of a strong rental strategy. And so does your solution integrate with any other so, uh, uh, software solutions? Because obviously you've got an isolated product here. How does that talk with other products? Yeah, so you know, we work with thousands of rental shops across the US and globally. Um, and Many of them do not have the system integrated um, because it, it essentially like it becomes the media repository that you can you can tie it into the ERP through an asset number, which forms the basis of all of the inspections. Um, but then you know most people just kind of have both of these things up on the screen. Um, we also are integrated um, with a bunch of RMSs. So what we'll do is we'll set up um, automated automatic data feeds that will pull out updated inventory lists so that all of the, you know, the make model serial number, any other relevant information is, um, is pulled into our system, which just saves a little bit of time on inspections and then makes it easy to make sure that you can you know, relate the, uh, the records from one system to the other. Yeah, because I could just imagine like if someone was adding say 50 new records into the one system, I'm assuming they'll have to add 50 into record 360 as well. So there's a bit of a duplication there. And I could see that where, uh, and even if there was like a check-in or check-out that triggers an event to say, hey, this needs to be done in record 360. So there's definitely stuff there that I think would be beneficial, but I can see how it can work in isolation as well, potentially. So we spoke about workflows, but I guess for the users, uh, for sorry, for the listeners, can we dig a little bit deeper on what workflow actually means within Record360. 
Yeah, sure. And the truth is it's, it's evolving. You know, we're, const- this, we're a SaaS platform, right? So we're constantly building out and evolving the product. Um, workflow is meant to sort of capture the idea that across a dealership or rental operation, um, there are different processes that people follow. And what we want to, what we're building Record360 into is a very flexible mobile workflow platform that allows you to set up checklists, but then also initiate other tasks. So um, we're about to release into sort of general release a feature that we call um, tasks and assignment. Um, and that allows you to basically create a checklist and then off that checklist, generate any other number of pieces of work, right? And that could be um, another inspection or it could be, hey, go change the you know oil and filters on this piece of equipment or this piece of equipment needs to get washed before it goes back into the, the rental ready stack. And so a workflow would be setting up a checklist um, with you know, conditional fields, like if this happens, then go and do this, take this photo. Um, if this you know, oil filter comes back with a thumbs down, create a task for X person in the service shot to go and do this piece of, um, do this task. And then the ability to visualize that on a board so that a service manager or a rental coordinator is able to sort of visualize all of the work um, that the yard yard team or service workers need to do. Um, and so we're looking to build those out for different pieces of the dealership, very focused on rental and everything surrounded that service. So every, including sort of in, in the shop, um, but also field inspections um, and then also sales um, as well. Because one of the things that we've found on the sales side is that getting up-to-date images is the most important thing to be able to move assets really quickly. Um, and so people end up relying on Record360 Media in order to support their used equipment sales. And, and so making all of the workflows around selling used equipment much easier for reps. It just ran through my head when you said Record360 Media. So with the storage of data, if you are taking videos and a lot of photos, there is a lot of data being um, uploaded to the cloud. So is that something that you are managing with Record360 or do, do the rental companies have to get their own data storage provider integrate? No, not look at that, no. So we manage all of that on behalf of our customers. And as, as you know, across the rental industry, there are people using rental management systems that are of different ages, right? So some of them are on cloud systems, others are not, they're sort of, sort of still on-prem. Um, and so the idea of sort of managing big uh, databases of images and videos is kind of challenging in an on-premise environment and adds a lot of cost into the business. We abstract all of that. Um, so we were, you know, we're built on sort of AWS infrastructure primarily, um, but we, you know, we absorb all of the cost um, of that and the management of that so that our customers don't have to deal with it, but they're able to access it from, you know, any mobile device or, or desktop. Yeah, that makes it a lot easier. I've seen solutions out there where you've got to like integrate your own cloud solution, which means that, you're in the end managing your own data storage on your yeah. own as well. So I think that's that's an added benefit to the whole whole piece. Yeah, we, try, we try and keep it really simple. For, I think that's a big piece of why we've been successful is like simplicity is sort of a core operating value for us. And that means like a simple product that is simple to adopt and simple to roll out into the organization, but just generally trying to abstract as much away so that you know rental rental operators can focus on on doing what they do best yeah that's probably a good point as well so talk to me about 
talk to me about the onboarding process. Like, is it as simple as somebody just signing up online and doing their own implementation or is there always some type of engagement? Like, what does that look like? Typically, um, there is, it's very, so we can typically get someone up and running within 24 to 48 hours, um, which is which is really fast in this, in this space. And generally what that looks like is working with, with someone to design their checklist. And so that usually means just sending us take, you know, we've got sort of a customized white glove service where we will take um, a operator's existing inspections or, you know, paper could be something else and then digitizing that um, and then rolling that out. And it's as simple as, you know, sending a link to download the mobile app um, once we've got that checklist and that process in place. And, then, and the reason that that ends up being valuable is that we, we try to make that transition from sort of analog to digital as, as, as simple as possible for folks. And often that means just kind of taking their existing process and then simplifying it and then digitizing it so that the, the adoption from folks in the yard is just really simple, right? It, it reflects something that they already, they already know and, and they already do. And I think that that's a really that's an important thing for any technology vendor. Like you need to be able to, you need to be able to manage change in steps. And I think some of the, you know, the things that I see struggle is when you're trying to overhaul an entire process that becomes then, you know, a massive organizational wide initiative with something like this, it, it generally fits quite neatly into the operating process that folks already go through um, and, and it slots in quite nicely. So the adoption of it ends up being quite easy. Yeah, and you could stage it as well, I could assume. Like you could do, all, right, all we're going to solve today is check-in and check-outs. Then we'll do safety sheets later on and service schedules or whatever it might be uh, at a later point. I, yeah, and I think that that's really important. It's like sol solve one problem, don't solve them all. We have a lot of functionality and features that can add value, but we always focus on driving to value as fast as possible. And so that means like restricting scope and trying to simplify as much as possible so that we that we, we think about this sort of metric of time to value for all of our new customers is how quickly can we get to them in the point that their operating process is now includes Record360 um, so that we, we can have that first incident where Record360 saves them and they'll pay for their whole subscription probably for a couple of years, honestly, um, <laughs> with one of those. And so um, that's kind of one, one of the ways that we, we shorten that that time to value yeah awesome all right well let's learn a little bit more about you personally so who played a big influence on you from a mentor perspective i am an i am an avid reader so it's interesting when i think about mentors for myself a lot of these are sort of um images of other people in my mind that that i have you know i'm a pretty avid follower and reader of and then, of course, there's a ton of people, you know, relationships that I had. But I think some of the biggest sort of the mentors that I, I read a lot about and I read pretty much anything that they sort of put out, um, you know, folks are probably no strangers to like Jeff Bezos, but a lot of his um, thinking around customer centricity and a long-term orientation have been very impactful on how I think about business and how I, how I think about my life. Um, it's interesting. I, I also follow a lot of investors. Um, Warren Buffett is a great one, I think, also because I, I think um, he has this incredible focus on long-term thinking and focusing on really good, solid, like making really solid decisions. 
Um, and that's something that I, I try to sort of adopt in my own, own life. And then um, I'm also a big fan of uh, like psychology and understanding more about how the human brain works. And so there's a very, there's a famous um, researcher, Daniel Kahneman, who's been very impactful on how I sort of think about my own brain, but he wrote a book, Thinking Fast and Slow, that's been really impactful on my life. Um, but then, you know, for me, I've been, you know, it's, it's sort of surrounding myself with a lot of my friends and peers, you know, other CEOs that are leading businesses, um, other investors and operators um, that, that really are sort of my sounding board um, for, for decisions that I'm making and how I think about my own career and, um, you know, strategy within the businesses that uh, I lead. Um, so it's a, it's a few different sources. Yeah, I think that's a good point to touch on. So how hard do you think it would be to be a CEO without those sounding boards? I think it would be very challenging. And I think part of, I mean, people sort of talk about the idea that the CEO job can be quite lonely. And in some ways, in some way that, that really does resonate with me. It, it is not lonely because I, I, I have a ton of folks that I, you know, are on my sort of personal advisory board. Um, what Record360 is um, owned by a larger software group called Alpine Software Group that has about 35 other businesses in it. And through that, there is a you know, really rich community of other CEOs that you know, I've, I've got really strong personal relationships with and they end up being a really awesome source of you know, guidance and inspiration. You know, and then coaches and, and other things, I think are really, are really important. Um, I, th I think it's challenging. I mean, I think most jobs are challenging um, without sounding boards, right? And I think it's important for, for everyone to have that to help sort of process and think through so you can think clearly and, and act with conviction. And have you made the switch from reading to audiobooks or are you still a, a vivid reader only? I've, I've, got a bit of a, I've got a bit of both. I try to consume media in every form as much as possible. So I've got... I've got my Kindle and I have my Kindle on, on my phone for when I can't listen to audiobooks and then um, listen to a lot of podcasts as well um, and, and audiobooks. And then, and then I read a lot as well. Um, I love it. I'm a very sort of naturally curious person with a sort of thirst for learning. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it is the biggest, it is the most amazing thing that you have these incredible people in the world that will, write down their life's work, right? Like a set of insights that reflects the sort of 30 or 40 years that they spent in the world. And then for $11.99 on Kindle, you're able to download that and read it over six hours and, and do that for like hundreds of people, I think is, it's just, it's an incredible, um, it's an incredible gift that people leave us with. And so I try to be pretty voracious in my consumption of, of high quality content that other people put out. Yeah, that's, it's so true, isn't it? It's like we, we can learn so much from the past by just taking the time to, to read or listen to the stories of people's, people's lives and then what they've gone through. Yeah, and I think, it's, I think it's, it's exactly that. And then the other thing that I push myself on is ideas are wonderful, but the thing that ch changes one's life or the lives of other people around you is, is to be able to translate those ideas into action. And so I think a lot about the like, the learning of new ideas, but then a lot about, well, how do I actually make that a reality in my own life or the things that I touch? And so, so, so also focusing on that translation layer. 
Yeah, I, I remember watching. So I, I really like Gary Vee. Have you heard of Gary Vee before? Gary Vee. Yeah, don't don't know it super well. Yeah, so he's a motivational speaker. He he owns uh, Vanna Media, which is a big organization. But he's got a lot of podcasts that I listen to as well. And one in particular that, that really made me laugh was he always talks about people like taking action and not just always thinking about it or listening. And he he was doing this this conference once where he was uh, basically yelling at the crowd saying, stop coming to my conferences and start doing something. Like you're just coming to the conferences to hear me speak. Like if you do something and never come to my conference ever again, I feel like we've won. And it was just such a funny thing to listen to. It's like, I feel like so many people get stuck in the route of just like, I'm going to like learn about how I can be successful, but never actually challenge myself to put myself outside my, uh, my comfort zone to actually try and attempt something sometimes. Yeah. That's, that's a, a wonderful message. It resonates a lot. Sometimes it's just action. Right. And that's a tension that I, I certainly feel for myself. And I think others do is this, you know, how much thinking versus how much acting do you do? You know, I, I try to be thoughtful, but sometimes the like, the best way to move forward and the best way to learn and the best way to drive impact in your life is is just by doing and being prepared to to fail and being more comfortable with with failure i think that ends up sort of driving a lot of the the cycles of thinking is wanting to like shoot the right shot um rather than just shooting any shot and learning from from your mistake yeah well i was listening to a podcast last night and there was like a little quote in there that the guy just said off cuff which was the worst I'm ever going to beat something is the first time I do it. And it's like such a simple thing, but it's like people overcomplicate things sometimes. And that's a really good example of, yeah, just, just start. Yeah. I love that. So if you could give some advice to younger self, what would you say? Wonderful question. It's interesting. I think back on my life today and some of the things that I feel like I've learned along the way that have ended up being really impactful on my experience of living. Um, and there's a few of them that stand out for me. One of them is, is an idea that we've actually just spoken about, but is developing, develop the ability to bounce back from failure faster. I think one of the false beliefs that I had as a young person was that if something went wrong or if I failed, then I needed to punish myself for that failure so that I could come back stronger and succeed in the future. And I think what I've learned over time is that actually just being okay with it, not punishing yourself is, is a faster way to just move through a failure so that then you can take your, you know, your second shot. Um, and I wish I had have internalized that earlier. So I would, I'd bring that back to myself. Um, the other, I think is, is also, I, you know, I've, over the past couple of years, I think like many folks have given meditation and mindfulness a little bit of time and exploration. And I've, I've found that practice to be really impactful in helping me to separate out my reaction to situations um, from the situation themselves so that I can think and act with more clarity. Um, and that is something I was very bad at for a lot of my, my youth and um, adolescence and so I think I would I would try to bring some of those learnings earlier into my life so that I could just feel a little bit calmer and you know when when I sort of faced stressful situations what sort of meditation do you do 
I'm a big, so I, I don't know the name of the exact style, but Sam Harris put out an app. Um, God, I'm having a mind like, God, I use this thing every day. Um, it sounds like maybe you've heard of it. Sam, Sam Harris is sort of a modern age philosopher, but also is it went sort of very deep on meditation and mindfulness. And it has a really great, uh, great way of approaching it that I think is a little unique from sort of the head spaces and calms. Um, it helped, it, it was a little bit more instructional in helping me to sort of really understand how to do it and how to practice so that I got to the point of, of really experiencing some of the insights that I think it has to offer. Um, so I, I really, I really love that. Yeah, awesome. You should listen to, there's an episode with Sam Harris that came out not long ago, like last week, I think, with a, on a podcast called Lex Friedman. Mm, yeah, I think yeah. it's, uh, yeah, he's an, he's an awesome, awesome person. He, he can just, the way he can like explain things, I think is really impressive as well, which is he explains really complex things in a very simple manner, which I think is really, yeah. and he goes layers deep. Like he doesn't just talk about stuff on top layer. He obviously goes layers deep. Uh, to really understand a topic of what someone's trying to talk about. And obviously I haven't used his meditation tool, uh, but I, I do know that he's got an app that he, that he uses. Uh, yeah. That waking up as well. is what it's called. Nice. So, so what do you think has been the biggest challenge you've faced so far in your career? I think the biggest challenge that I face, and I sort of expect to continue to face is constantly changing and evolving myself and my teams so that we're all able to you know grow and do more um i think a, you know a big piece of what i sort of think about in my own job is is where do, where do i need to grow in order to be able to successfully lead this organization and how do i make sure that i articulate that and then have a process for learning those things um, and also a process for sort of up leveling um, and coaching and developing my team to sort of take over the things that I need to step back from in order to be able to meet that, that next challenge. And so I think the biggest challenge for me is, has been and will continue to be is sort of is making sure that I'm clear about what those things are so that, you know, my situation or the business doesn't sort of get out ahead of, of my own capabilities as a leader. Um, and making sure that I'm sort of focused on the right things and developing the right, you know, skills and evolving myself and the organization in the right ways so that we can meet the, the opportunities that we have ahead. Um, it's something that I think a lot about and has been challenging, has been rewarding when you do it even reasonably well. Um, and I think it will continue to be a, a challenge for me. Yeah, I was going to say that I think that those, those sort of challenges don't just go away. I think they're always going to be there in some sort of fashion. And it's just about how you use those prior skills that we spoke about, uh, being able to be more calm and, and using meditation and stuff like that to then attack those, those challenges. Because you might have a new CFO that comes on board that's a bit of a stress head and is, is very focused on, on one part of the business. And it's, all right, how do I adopt? This person's really skillful. How do I bring them into our culture, for example, or, yeah. or whatever it might be? So all sorts of things yeah. might happen in the future. And... I like to ask this question to everyone. So how do you define success? Great question. The way I define it is success is to me living the life that one wants to live. Um, and that is, that is living the life that I want to live. It, it sounds very simple, but it's actually, I think, the hardest thing 
for me and often others to kind of figure out. And for me, that's sort of like two, two steps. It's one is figuring out what one wants or what you want. And then two is designing your life so that you get more of it. Um, and so for me, success is sort of being able to articulate what those things are and then living a life that is rich in those things. Um, and so for me, like a lot of that is like endless sort of learning and curiosity. And, you know, my, my work life is a big piece of that. It just is such a rich ground for, you know, improving our product, improving um, the relationships that we have with customers, improving our business so that we're able to, to continue to scale. Um, and then there's, you know, for me, there's also just relationships. So like being able to understand the people in my life that give me a lot of energy um, and then trying to spend more time with them. I'm a big believer in this idea that, you know, you sort of end up becoming the people that you spend most of your time with. And so I try to think about things in my life where if I do more of them, I get more energy and contentment and meaning back. Um, and then just trying to fill my life with, with more of those things. And so, you know, work is, is a piece of that relationships with people that I, I trust and admire is a big, is a big piece of that. Um, and then another pillar is, is adventure and experience in the outdoors. Um, so yeah, I love, I love mountaineering. I love backcountry skiing. I love surfing. Um, I love anything that sort of involves a bit of thrill in a really beautiful environment. And that ends up just being a really nourishing thing and being able to do that with, with people that I really love is um, a really big source of sort of, of meaning for me. So success for me is around designing a life that, that I want to live and that I love the experience of um, because I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a quite a goal-oriented individual and I love to sort of think about the future and the path to get there, but, but also sort of don't want to fall into some trap of like delaying gratification for some future period because I think that's a, a little bit of an illusion. So I try to sort of have goals that keep me focused, but have those goals um, put me on a path where I, the, the, the every day of what I'm doing ends up being really rewarding and nourishing. I think, you know, mo most days I like to think that I've, I'm very grateful for the life that I've got right now. I sort of, I feel successful because most of my life is filled with those things that, that give me energy and contentment. Wow. What a, what a great answer. That was, um, it's a really good outlook on on life that you have as well. I think a lot of people don't really know what they want. I think that's probably a, a key challenge that people go through. And I think sometimes people get all the way halfway through their life and then they, they realize that they want something and they've been going the wrong direction the whole time to get to where they want as well. So I think, yeah, it's, it's yeah it sounds it sounds simple but it's it, yeah it's honestly taken me a long time and i'm not even sure i'm sort of fully there yet i still ask myself this question but it is one of the traps that i i think one can easily fall into is sort of living a life that somebody else wants and you realize that you're living there somebody else's goals or some some other idea of what sort of success looks like that isn't really fit, you know filling you up at your core um and that that realization, that moment of realization that, you know, like maybe I'm living someone else's dream is I worry about that sometimes and I try to avoid it. Wow. All right, Jesse. Well, I really want to thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. This podcast episode was proudly supported by our premier partner, Ken Artsire.